Now, you know, I, I love playing it when we talk about Oak Island, but I'm not nearly as good as the narrator of Oak Island. And on the line, we've got the one and only Mr. Robert Clotworthy. How are you doing tonight? Yeah, good. Yeah, I'm the, uh, is it possible, could it be more wood guy, as I like to uh, <laughs> yeah. So I, I got to tell you one of the questions. I'm doing we, good. How are you guys doing? We're doing, doing good. Great. Right? Doing great. We're doing, Thank you. So we're a couple hours ahead of you, obviously. You're calling from California, and we're in Indiana. So uh, what that means is we've got cocktails. And, and well, of course, it's Saturday. You might, too. So, um, But, you know, first of all, thank you for uh, giving us some your, your time to talk to us a little bit. We want to talk about not just Oak Island, but your entire career. Because f- for those that don't know, you have a storied, storied career. So, And uh, it's, it's pretty awesome, quite honestly. I've I've uh, I've had a little bit of luck in my uh, in my <laughs> time here in Los Angeles. So yeah, thank you. So you grew up with a father that was a radio producer, if I've got that correct. Yep. So did you yep. know that you know you were going to be that you always want to be in the in the business some way, shape, or form? Well, yeah. My father worked at an advertising agency here in in Hollywood. And he, his job was, he was one of the producers there, and he would do a lot of radio spots. So, uh, so I would go down to the studio with him occasionally as a kid and sit in and watch them do this stuff. And I was just mesmerized by it. Now, at that time, did I know that that was something that I was going to eventually do? I, I think at that time in my life, I wanted to be Superman. <laughs> I wanted to be a, you know, I wanted to be, uh, you know, a fireman or something. But uh, I wasn't thinking, yeah, voiceover. <laughs> Not a lot of six-year-olds are, are thinking that. But, um, yeah, but it, what it did do was it, you know, I started, I started falling in love with it. And I think that's the, the first part of, of, of learning is you fall in love with something and then you start playing around with it. And uh, then you eventually go up to somebody and say, how do you do this? And uh, that's, that's kind of what, uh, what, what happened. Well, as, as you were growing up and getting older and starting to think more about it, yeah. were there, were there people that you were seeing with your father that kind of influenced you or, or made you? Oh my uh, goodness. It was, it was all the great, cartoon voices excuse me that i i grew up with so it was it was dawes butler it was mel blank it oh, was wow, june wow. Foray, it was 
uh, you know, Jerry Stiller and Ann Miller. I mean, it was it was incredible people that were were coming in wow. that I would see work. So it was, uh, you know, um, think Casey Kasem would would come in. Um, God, I'm trying to think of all, wow. all the all the names now. Gary Owens, Gary Owens w- sure. w- would be in, and it was it was it was fun. Wow. And they were all really, really nice and playful and fun. And they did these crazy voices. And it, you know, how could you, how can you not fall in love with that as a as, as a kid? You know, I was sitting here I mean, when fact, you said I, Mel Blank. Was, I'm sorry. Go yeah. ahead. No, I was going to say even. I don't know if you know who Hal Smith was. Mm-hmm. Hal sure. Smith was, I guess, the most famous was Otis the Drunk on the yeah. uh, Andy oh, Griffith show. show. Yeah. 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 yeah, well, he had a show out here in uh, in Hollywood or in Los Angeles when I was growing up. It was called the Pancake Man. <laughs> it was this. It was one of those Saturday morning shows where I think that the I guess that he worked at a, at the international International House of Pancakes. I guess they have those all over the, the country. But that was that was the bit. He would make pancakes and show cartoons, and he actually came. As the pancake man to my birthday party, oh, I was you know, no. six wow. or seven. I mean, it's like, are you serious? It was, you know. And, and I talked to my dad about it. He says, "Yeah, I did it as a favor." Uh, you know, it was not what his his normal routine on Saturday. That's the last thing he wanted to do was was put on an apron and a and a chef's hat and go over to a six year old's birthday. But but he did that. And uh, it, awesome. it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Just, just yeah. so you know, so in my household, my wife and I, there's uh, just a couple shows we watch uh, because mm-hmm. we're so busy. One of them, of course, is Oak Island, but the other one's the Andy Griffith show. So we get to see, <laughs> and you can watch it on several different channels. So you can watch about two hours of it yeah. before you go to bed at night. Yeah. And there's nothing like you know the poor drunk coming in there. So it's it's yep. uh, okay. They don't make TV like that anymore. You know, I can imagine you no, being don't. a kid and seeing and watching Mel Blanc perform. I uh, oh my goodness! It, I couldn't. Yeah, I'm right. sitting here thinking, wow, talk about something that would be awesome to see is to be able to be at that age and watching Mel Blanc perform. That is incredible. Well, I'll, I'll tell you how jaded I was as a kid, though. Um, I was a very picky eater. I did not like vegetables as a kid. Now, of course, I love vegetables, but as a kid, I did not want to have vegetables. So my father came home one day, or one evening, and he had a, a record. I mean, literally a vinyl record. You know, it was like a 33, a big record. And he played it for me. And it was all these incredible voiceover people. You know, Dawes Butler, Gary Owens, uh, same people I was, Mel Blanc. And they were all in character telling me why I should eat my vegetables. Oh, wow. Oh, <laughs> you can imagine. If you wow. can imagine that. Oh. You know, June Foray was the voice of of, Bull, of Rocky and Rocky and Bullwinkle. <laughs> you know, oh, that's and, a, and have yeah. all of them, or, or, you know, Porky Pig telling me to eat vegetables. <laughs> I remember I, I listened to it once. I didn't, I didn't smile because I was pretty stubborn. I said, I'm still not going to eat my vegetables. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's so <laughs> Somewhere cool. my father has that record, and... Uh, He's threatening to uh, to pull it out of storage and uh, and play it for me play again. Play it for you. Yeah. That'd be awesome. That's yeah. great. So, so Robert, how, how old were you when you when you did your first voiceover or even uh, any other gig in in? I was uh, I was still in high school. Yeah, I was still in high school. So I think my first job in I uh, did a commercial. It was for Gainsburgers with cheese, if you can believe that. Uh, I was 15 at the time, and. Uh, it was actually the first audition I went on, and so 
you know, I started out out of the gate really fast. And uh, from then on, it just kept going and going and going. You know, I I would just have tons of opportunities. I had commercial agents, so I did a lot of on-camera commercials, did a lot of the old uh, TV shows that were very popular at that time, movies. Um, It was an emergency. The Waltons, and it's like on and on and on. Yeah, so that's pretty amazing. So I, I printed that off. The list of TV shows back in the day that you were on. The Rockford yeah. Files, MASH, yep, Police Files. Woman. Yep. I mean, it just goes uh-huh. on and on. Yeah, that's hit after hit. Well, <laughs> in, in Police Story, there was a show called Police Story. Right, I actually sure. played a, uh, uh, this is a funny story. I was a car thief. And I was 17 years old or something. And imagine this. The car that I steal is a Corvette. Now, this is like a, you know, this is like 1977 or something, right? So it was a real muscle car. And for some reason, they didn't hire a, uh, a stunt driver to do it. <laughs> they, I, 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 they just said, here, Rob, can, can you not drive? And I'm like, yeah, sure. So they handed me the keys and we shot it downtown. And if you ever see the, uh, the, the episode, you see this, it's a long shot. You see this Corvette come tearing around this corner and it's hauling ass, pardon me. <laughs> no, you're hauling, fine. You're hauling fine. Hail, right, <laughs> hauling ass down this down this street in, in in Los Angeles that supposedly they had blocked off. And suddenly this car kind of comes off a side street or out of an alley or something and it is, is in front of me. So what I did was I just kind of like, you know, turned to the left and went around it, just kind of did a nice little quick maneuver around the car. And that's the one they ended up using in oh, the, uh, wow. oh, in the wow. footage. But it, I, looking back on it, they would never let a 17 year old just take <laughs> the keys awesome. and, you know, drive the, drive the Corvette as a, as the stunt. But uh, yeah, I, I got to do it. That's, <clears> that's awesome. So, <laughs> I mean, you've done. A lot. You're still doing some TV stuff. I saw you're. Uh, oh yeah. We're on Young Sheldon not too long ago, and yes, it's yes, pretty, pretty amazing. I'm, I'm the uh, the mayor of Medford, Texas. There you go. Yep. So, and the other thing you've done is a video game uh, voiceover stuff. Oh yeah. So you're pretty yeah. you're pretty popular on one particular uh, series. Uh, you Starcraft. Could say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that's a pretty pretty big game. Yeah. And, so. Uh, how did you get that yeah. gig? I mean, did they reach out to you? Did you just audition for it blindly? Or? Well, it's interesting. Um, a friend of mine was working at Blizzard Entertainment at the time, and this was back in, goodness, 1997, 1998, and he had told me that they were doing this, this game and that they were looking for voices, so he got me a meeting. And I, I drove down to where Blizzard was at the time. Right now, Blizzard has this, they have a campus. I mean, it's, you know, in Irvine, California, it's this big building. I mean, it's amazing. But at that time, I think, you know, my mind, it was kind of not a strip mall, but it was one of those office parks, <laughs> complexes. Yeah, right. You know, nothing too, nothing too fancy because, they, you know, they were, I guess, only a couple of years they'd, they'd been around. And I met with uh, with Chris Metzen, who was the creator of StarCraft, and we sat and talked. He showed me these drawings that he did of Jim Rayner and what the universe of StarCraft was going to be like. And we just kind of played around with the character a little bit, and he, he hired me. And uh, that, would, 
that was 1998 when that first one came out. And then the funny part of the story is, I guess five or six years after that, I was working on uh, The Young and the Restless, which is a, a soap opera, and I sure. was, you know, I played the I played the judge on, on that for for quite a few years, and I overheard these two, you know, for lack of a better term, grips, you know, two two guys that were working on the show, talking about StarCraft, and uh, I said, oh yeah, you StarCraft? And they go, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, oh, I'm I'm in that. They go, really? Uh, what what character do you play? I, I really couldn't remember. Thought, oh, well, he's, he's like uh, Jeff, J- Jim, Jim, uh, Jim Rayner. I said, yeah, yeah, Jim, that's it, Jim Rayner. And they're, you know, the tongues like literally just about fell out of their mouths and right. the jaws like hit the floor because they couldn't believe it. And I, at that moment, I realized I don't know anything about this game. Maybe something's going on that I should pay attention to. <laughs> and that's why I, I did a little bit of research, because at that time it was just a gig for me. It was a job that I did, you know, four or five years prior, and I'd, you know, I'd moved on and done other stuff. And then I found out how huge the game had become. And then when they came time to do StarCraft II, it was a bit of a challenge to get rehired, because at that time the game had become so big. And the budget was so huge in, in making the game. I think it was well over $100 million that they could literally hire anybody they, they wanted. So they had the budget and they literally put the casting call out everywhere, all around the country, literally all around the world. They had auditions coming in and they had told me, you know, essentially giving me my gold watch and said, oh, thank you for your service. But, uh, you know, we're, we're moving on. And my agent at the time was very persistent. Whenever she would see the casting spec come back into the office again, because they were not finding who they wanted, uh, she kept resubmitting me. And then there was an element of the internet, some fans of the game that started getting involved, and they were really pushing for me to come back. And I don't, I don't want to say that Blizzard relented, but they gave me the opportunity. They thought, you know what? Let's see what Robert can do. And so they brought me into the studio. And Chris was there. A lot of the Blizzard execs were there. The uh, the lady that was going to be directing the game was there, and- Andrea Romana, who is one of the greatest video game, video, uh, I guess, comedy, <laughs> animation directors of all time, was there. And I did it. You know, I, I did my, my bit, and I walked out, and they told me later that when I was there, they felt that Jim Rayner was in the room. So it felt good to get the job, and I got the job as any actor wants to get it, basically by auditioning and being considered to be the uh, the best part or the best person for the, for the role. And since then, it's just taken off even bigger and bigger. I mean, it's, it's, it's a huge game. Well, it seems strange that they, after the popularity of the first one, that they just wouldn't want to go back to what worked the well, first time. I mean, I... Well, what they, what they explained to me is they said they needed to take that journey to see what was out there, to, to feel comfortable, you know, and they realized that what they had was at home the entire time. So it's almost poetic. Yeah. It's like you leave you, you leave home, you go on a, around the world, and you realize, you know, where I feel the best is right in my, yeah. Own, yeah. my own house. But I needed to see the rest of the world to really appreciate it. Uh, so it was poetic in nature in that regard. And of course, it's a wonderful, wonderful character to play. Uh, I've gotten 
you know, such great response from from fans, people who, in fact, just the other day, uh, a fellow reached out on on Twitter that he mentioned how the character he'd been playing it since he was a little kid, you know, seven, eight years old, and that it the character really touched his heart. It meant a lot to him. And you know, I wrote back to him and then said, "Hey, you know, uh, you know, I, I got your back." And he he just all of a sudden he was seven years old again. He was peeing in his pants, so excited that Jim Rayner's got his six. <laughs> so you've done a lot of movie. I'm going through yeah. the, some of your movie voiceover stuff here. Yeah. So the, the last one that's on the list I pulled off, and I didn't even know there was a remake of this. Um, <laughs> and I think you know yeah, where I'm going to go. People went to, the, went to the theater. Yeah, so it's funny. So growing up as a kid, there was a show. These guys probably don't know yeah. where, I'm, where I'm going, but there was a show, and the name of the show... You heard only that gentleman's voice. You never saw him. It's called Charlie's Angels. Yeah. 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 So apparently in 2019, there was a remake. And guess who the voice of Charlie was? No kidding. Yeah. That's 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 me. I said, good morning, angels. Yeah. (laughs) And now. Very good. It was kind of of interesting because they were looking for, I don't want to say John Forsythe match. But they're looking some something similar. The same and they didn't same richness they were, in the voice. Able, yeah, yeah, same richness in the voice. And and as you know, it's kind of funny, but I'd actually done the voice of Charlie in the reboot of the TV series that came out uh, many years prior to that. I did a bunch of them, and then all of a sudden, at the last minute, they decided, just like Hollywood does, they decide to use a name as the as the actor, so they replace me. But I had some experience doing it in the past, and when I went into to record this elizabeth banks was there and the rest of the uh, the producers and they were kind of floored by the fact that how how closely i sounded to john forsyth there's something in you know the resonance of our voice where where it's placed what it sounds the tenor was was right there and when i first heard the um the trailers for it I, I was convinced that they had used John Forsythe. I, I said, he must have pulled it from somewhere, because that does not sound like me. And the, and they assured me, yes, it was. So, uh, yeah, I, it, it's something that started out as maybe just something they were going to use temporarily. But once they heard it, they realized, wow, this guy really sounds like Charlie. So let's let's uh, let's stick with him. So it's 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 throughout the movie, and it's funny to be... The na- you know the character of Charlie and Charlie's Angels. In fact, I even sta- saved the call sheet because <laughs> I thought that's pretty pretty cool. It's been me, John Forsyth, and uh, oh god, and Vic- Victor Victor Garber mm-hmm. was the one that uh, replaced me in the uh, TV series. Right. Well, we're all of the age that we we grew up with Charlie's Angels, and just listening yeah. to your voice, I kind of closed my eyes and was just thinking, you know, trying to think in the back, and and it does you your voice does sound like you know the original charlie's angels charlie so it you know i never thought about it. i've heard your voice so many times and never never put the two together until you say it and then you really hear it and yeah i could imagine you know yeah and actually actually i uh, in preparation for for talking with you robert i i watched the trailer didn't even know the movie existed <laughs> yeah, I, I but, I, but i watched the trailer um and and yeah that that bit at the end and i was like yeah wow I mean, it sounded just like John Forsythe. Yeah, yeah. Well, he he was he was the best. He was. Uh, in fact, I I got to work with with him on an episode of I think it was the oh Dynasty. Yeah, oh, really? an episode of Dynasty. Yeah. Wow. So I had a question for you. I mean, you have got 
a long list of uh, shows and TV, movies, everything you've been involved with. Yeah. In doing all of this over the years, is there any certain actor that really left a positive impression on you that either encouraged you or gave you or inspired you to continue doing what you're doing? Because you have a oh, long man. list of people that you've worked with. There, yeah, it's 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 really fascinating because um, when you get the opportunity of working with, with some of these people, uh, I like to be almost like a sponge. I like to watch and observe how they work, what they do, and try to learn from that. So I know, you know, I've worked many times, goodness, probably four or five times. He, he never remembers, but, but I always do, with, with James Spader, who's a fascinating actor to watch. Now, most recently, uh, I had the opportunity of working with Bradley Cooper and Clint Eastwood on American Sniper. Right. And Amen. that was probably one of the most amazing experiences that I've ever had as an actor. Right. You know, when you work with people that are not only that talented, but they're just at the top of their game. They they truly understand it, and they and and Clint Eastwood creates this atmosphere on the set that is so comfortable, so safe that you're you, you don't worry about whether you're going to make him happy or not. I don't know if that makes any sense. You just allow it to be. And even though working on that movie, you're thinking, "Oh my goodness!" Here, here, and I had I had that moment where I sat in the room, and it's Clint Eastwood, Bradley Cooper, the uh, cinematographer guy who's working the camera, and me. That that's it. It's all that the only people that are in the room. Wow. And I'm looking around, thinking, "How did I get here?" <laughs> right. And, and wow! Wow! Because you know you don't get to meet Clint Eastwood before you show up on the set. He, you know, he casts off off tape. He doesn't right. like to interview actors. I, th I don't believe he liked to be interviewed when he was doing auditions. So he he just doesn't like. You know, he understands the anxiety that an actor is going through. So he, he casts you off off the videotape and then puts you in the movie. And he trusts that he's going to make a good decision. So when I showed up, and uh, he you know he doesn't say cut or action. He just says go or stop wow <laughs> I, re okay. I remember we, we shot we shot we shot the second scene first where I, I i take bradley cooper to this to this uh room at the uh, the va hospital where these injured soldiers are and you know because i say listen you know if you want to help soldiers we got a lot here that need help and uh we the, we were supposed to walk around a corner and towards, you know, and, and they were going to do a shot of us walking down this hallway. And I'm there with Bradley Cooper. I've never met before him. And, and he was, you know, he, I, I don't know if you know who Chris Kyle was, but yes. I had read the book. Yeah, I'd yes. heard interviews with him. I was, I was very familiar. And honestly, Bradley Cooper was not there. Chris Kyle was there. Yeah, he, he, he just totally inhabited that character. Yeah, I and think so around that. this corner... <clears throat> We're around this corner, and I'm supposed to to lead him. You know, I'm supposed to lead Bradley Cooper because I'm the one that knows where I'm going. And uh, I hear Clint or somebody say "go," and <laughs> I'm waiting for action. And Bradley Cooper says, "That means action." <laughs> said, okay. he, he's obviously he knows that. So. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No. So I I think for us, um, 
you know, and you talk about both those guys. So Clint Eastwood movies, the, the ones he's directed, has just been phenomenal. But remembering him from his acting days, just his ability to transition. And then you talk about Bradley Cooper, and, and in particular that movie. You know, if you've, yeah. you know, for us, yeah, I'd seen a couple of his other movies, and he wasn't the same guy. It was like, you know, it, it, as soon as the movie started, he wasn't Bradley. Just like you said, he wasn't Bradley Cooper anymore. No. He was immediately um, Chris Kyle. Uh, Chris yeah. Kyle, yeah. and and yeah, and, and that phenomenal. scene that we uh, that scene that we did together was ends up being uh, Clint Eastwood's favorite scene in the movie. It was the scene that they showed at the Academy Awards when uh, Bradley Cooper was nominated. And it was a scene that he and I improvised, which is pretty amazing. Um, you know, it, it was scripted initially, but then prior to doing the scene, the writer came up to me and said, uh, Bradley wants to expand on the scene. And of course, you know, my eyes kind of got really wide thinking, <laughs> I, okay. yeah. I memorized all my lines. Now you're gonna give me a whole new script. And he said, what we want to do is in this movie, we can't, we haven't been able to really show a lot of the stuff that is really important, like what a tour of duty is, how many days he was in, you know, in country, how many uh, kills he was credited with versus how many kills they think he did in actuality. So I said, this is a perfect opportunity for us to introduce some of that information. So we went over a lot of the details, like how long a tour of duty is, how long he's been there, how many people, you know, how many were confirmed, how, how many were unconfirmed. And uh, we started out the scene, and as written, it was, you know, I'm supposed to give him, uh, I think, a prescription for Valium or something at the end, and I thought, no, that, that's not going to work. I'm not going to do that. And I thought, if I'm at a therapist's office, what's the worst thing that you can hear from the therapist. What's the one thing you don't want to hear? And I obviously I had read this script. I knew that the scene just prior to that was where he takes his belt off and he's about to beat the dog at the uh, the kid's birthday party. Yeah. And his wife is screaming at him, and he realizes, man, I've snapped. I need I'm in help. I I need some help. So the first thing I said, if you watch the movie, you'll hear the voiceover. I say. Uh, your wife called me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she told me what happened, <laughs> and I and at that and he didn't expect. He didn't know what I was going to say, but he's such a wonderful actor and so present that he he realized he he couldn't lie to me. You know, I could see right through him, and uh, so we never stepped on each other's lines. It was a purely improvised scene, and we normally. You know, Clint Eastwood only shoots a scene a couple of times. We did this, I, don't know, I would say maybe half dozen, ten times, just because it was improvised. We we needed to work out some of the beats a little bit, maybe some of the camera movements, because nobody knew where we were going to go, right. how long the scene was going to be. I mean, it's an improv, it's, a, it's an improvisation. So we 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 needed to all kind of work together, and I thought the scene ended up being incredible just absolutely amazing and people talk about how how wonderful uh, Bradley was in that in that scene and how you know you could see all this emotion in his eyes and right. blah 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 and I had the best seat in the house because you're watching it on you know on a TV screen or on a movie screen I was two feet away from it wow staring him in the eyes 
I could see whether he was getting it or not. And we were we were very present and very connected. And he's, uh, you know, I, I got to tell him, tell you, he's he's a wonderful. Not only is he a great actor, he's a wonderful, wonderful guy. Well, I remember the scene, and yes, yeah. that was. I mean, it it seemed as real as real could be. So whatever, yeah. whatever yeah. you did, it, it did definitely work because yeah. it was. You felt like you know he was just letting the emotion of what he's been yeah. through out. Yeah, yeah, and it was it, as an actor, it was it's weird to say, but it was actually probably one of the easiest things I've ever done because there was no tension, no pressure. It was just he and I being there talking. I'm trying to help him. He's kind of resisting a little bit, but he needs help, so he has to he has to trust me. And it was, uh, uh, I think, a, a beautifully crafted scene, and I'm incredibly proud and honored to be a part of it because you know to work with these these two gentlemen at the top of their game was really uh, an honor. Absolutely, absolutely. So you you do voiceover, you do acting. Which is oh, your yeah. fa- which is your favorite between the two? It's. It's like trying to choose between your children, which one you love the most. No, it's easy in my house. It's, it's, okay, okay. Well, it's it, maybe maybe it's whomever you're with at, at that, that day. <laughs> that that's that's who you love. You know, if I'm if I'm uh, uh, doing some some voiceover for Curse of Oak Island, I'm loving every minute that I'm there. If I'm working on a TV show, I'm enjoying that or a movie, whatever it might be. They're all a little bit different but they're all kind of the same because you still have to be honest. You still have to be present. You still have to be able to access what your opinions are, who you are in in that moment and try to just expose yourself and and be there. Movies are are really nice because the pacing is, is different. When you work on a TV show, the pacing is you know they've they've got to do it within you know if it's a half hour show they've got five days to do it if if it's a uh, uh, an hour long series uh, you know maybe you've got fourteen days to do it uh, it if it, it's different if you're doing um, let's say you know Big Bang Theory where they, you've got a live audience coming in because they've got all their days specifically done they may pre tape a couple of of, of scenes uh, it's 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 very structured in a different way. Whereas in a film, it you know they if they've got the budget and they've got the time, they want to get it right. So they I, I remember working on this one movie um, uh, for the boys uh, with Bette Midler and James Caan. This was back in the or I guess early nineties, and it was we were in one scene. It was one scene. It was a complicated scene, but it was maybe a five or ten minute scene, and it took us two weeks to shoot it. Now, you know, if, if you're nervous on day one, you're certainly not going to be nervous on day two or three. Right. Because you, you, you've, you've burned through all the nervous energy. It's gone. Now you're just there. Now you're just doing it. That's why oftentimes I think that some of these performances in films are so exceptional because if they, the actor has the time to really uh, invest in that experience and to be present and you know the the directors are understanding of that so there's just a different aspect to it now with doing uh the voiceover which is something that i'm doing a lot of it's it's really exciting a the challenge is exciting 
you know, I'm on this journey along with everybody else. If I wasn't a fan of the, if I wasn't doing Curse of Oak Island, I'd be a fan of Curse of Oak Island. Uh, same with Ancient Aliens. So there's a, a challenge, and now I've got a, a, a bigger responsibility because now that I'm the voice of these shows, people are tuning in and they're expecting something, and you need to deliver. So you have to be consistent, and that's that's its own challenge. Right. And how do you how do you keep the consistency going over 10, 12 years, 200 episodes? At some point, do people start to get lazy? I don't. I'm not one of those people that, that gets lazy uh, when it comes to that. When I show up in the recording studio, I show up ready to work. I'm excited to be there. We have a great time. We, we create an environment that's, that's fun and creative and gets the work, work done. And I think that that is one of the intangibles that people pick up when they watch the shows. I know some people, you know, may kid about some of the ways that I say things, you know, like, could it be, or is it possible? Or what if it were true, <laughs> you know, ancient astronaut theorists say yes. Well, you know, it's interesting because I'm having fun when I'm doing that as well. It's interesting to me. Right. And so I'm kind of doing it. So so a little bit of it is is a little bit of a of a wink to the audience because I I know that they're, that they're enjoying that. So I kind of acknowledge it because I'm having fun too. And uh, you know I've listened to some of the other narrators that have done, uh, like say for example, Ancient Aliens in you know the UK or in in different countries where it's still in English but it's not. American English for whatever reason. Right. And they, they just kind of, I mean, they're all doing a good job, but they're not doing what I'm doing. Got to put emotion. You know, they're, they're reading they're, it. Yeah, there's, there's, the, there's Well, they're emotion. reading it. They're yeah. good actors. They're just, it, it's, it's, it's a not, job. It's not yeah. them. Right. You know, they're not going to go ancient astronaut theorists say, yes. <laughs> you know, they're not going to, people aren't, people show up to these conventions with that on t-shirts. Right, right. Because it's it's they think it's so funny, so and they they love it so yeah. much. So we're we're gonna our so here we are. Our glasses need refilled. So we're gonna take a, okay. a short break. When we come back, okay. we're gonna talk about your work with Prometheus. And you know, quite honestly, there's three words you say that most people know. <laughs> Can you guess the three words okay. I'm gonna say? Mm -hmm. Does it start with a C and end with a with an E? <laughs> could be. It could be. Oh, you almost got it. Almost got it. You got so, two of the words. Got two of them. So when we come back, we're going to talk about Prometheus and the work you're doing with them. So for Cross the Line 1524, I'm Alan Stanger with... Dwayne Bischoff. Jeff Montag. Ruben Hunt. And our special guest... Robert Lotworthy. And we'll be right back. Could it be? <laughs> That's great. I don't think it gets any better than that right yeah. there. Cut. We're done. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, wait, we're done. Chills. Yeah. <laughs> so welcome back to Cross the Line 1524. I'm Alan Stanger with... Dwayne Bischoff. Jeff Montag. Ruben Hunt. And if you didn't figure it out already, on our line is our special guest. What's your name out there, special Robert. guest? Robert Bruce Clotworthy. There you go. Better known as... Uh, the could it be guy. The could it be guy. <laughs> so we're going to talk about Prometheus a little bit. So um, sure. for the, you know a lot of people may know you just from Oak Island, but that's not mm -hmm. that's not where you got started with Prometheus. Obviously, mm -hmm. um, 
Ancient Aliens has been on a lot longer than that. I know you've done other things besides that on the History Channel, and I'm guessing Prometheus may have been involved with those other things. But oh, yeah. t- tell us how you got involved with Ancient Aliens. Well, um, it starts with the first job I did for Prometheus, which is the producer of all of these programs. I had switched to a new talent agent here in Los Angeles, and one of the things you get to do when you move to a new agency is, you know, you you can kind of reinvent yourself. It's like you move to a new town. Nobody knows who you are. Nobody has a preconceived idea as to what you can do or who you are. So you can, you are, you know, whoever you want to be. And one of the things that I really wanted to, to explore with this new agent was narration. I'd always been pretty good about getting the words off the page, uh, which is a really important skill to have if you want to be a narrator or a voiceover person. If somebody hands you a script, you don't want to be stumbling over the words. You want to be able to look at it and be able to get the words off the page pretty quickly. And I was always really good at that. I used to do it as, as a kid. It was one of the things I would do for fun, just reading out loud. Just a, a weird, quirky thing that I would do. Well, I put together a a quick little narration demo and I put it and they put it out on their website and I get this call from the agent I guess it was God, I want to say it was within a matter of weeks that this uh, company was interested in using me for this documentary on the making of the first three Star Wars films and I ended up getting the job and this was for Prometheus and it was a, 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 a two hour documentary called Empire of Dreams and it was going to be the bonus disc that was included with the uh, release of the first three films, you know, episodes four, five, and six on DVD. And this was being sanctioned by uh, George Lucas. He was involved with the creation of this, with the writing of it, with the casting of it. So I was honored to be chosen as the voice of the narrator for this incredibly prestigious uh, documentary. It ended up being nominated for an Emmy. Didn't win, unfortunately, but it was nominated. And that started a long relationship, probably the longest professional relationship I've ever had in uh, in entertainment. The fellow that was the creator, the producer, the I guess the uh, uh, of of all of this was a fellow named Kevin Burns, who unfortunately passed away in September of last year. And he just was this amazing, wonderful human being who not only uh, really understood the business, he, he actually taught uh, filmmaking in, in Boston, Boston University. He won a Student Academy Award when he was in college for a documentary that he did about uh, Barbara Streisand. Um, so he had this great knowledge of, of film and television but at the same time, he and I were, honestly, we were the same age. We were within a couple of months of each other. He had this wonderful childlike side to him. He was a big fan of the Munsters, of uh, Lost in Space. Uh, in fact, he was loved Lost in Space so much, he ended up buying the Irwin Allen Company. He, he, wow. he is the producer, like the, the, re- the re-release or the redo of Lost in Space. That's his baby. He uh-huh. did that. That's the dedication. time tunnel, all these, all these silly shows that that I used to watch as a kid. He was watching as a kid, so we had this wonderful connection. And when he heard my voice, something about 
uh, about the way that I would convey the information, he just he just fell in love with. He would he would write something. He would he would tell me like with ancient aliens. He goes, I, I'd write some of this stuff, and I think, oh, this is such crap. <laughs> and then I would hear you say it, and I'd think, maybe it is possible. He he just believed what it is that I was saying, and so we we had this great synergy, this great um, relationship where he wrote the words and he literally wrote them with two fingers on a, on a keyboard. He was not one of those guys that could, you know, knew, knew the QWERTY system. No, it was tick, 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 like that. So he would knock these things out, but he really understood what was, was fascinating to the public. He understood why ancient aliens, why it was important not to have critical voices on the show. He would explain, he'd say, you know, if, if I was doing a documentary about the, uh, about the nativity, I wouldn't have uh, an atheist on it. Why would I do that? Right. All he's going to do is kind of dump on the, all the stuff that, I, that I'm trying to say. So with Ancient Aliens, he saw it as an ongoing conversation with, with the audience. Where, and, he, and he cast it well. He brought in these incredible group of, of individuals. He let them do their thing. And then he brought me in to kind of be the, the not the voice of reason, but the, the the person that helps guide you through it. And uh, I, I'm not my voice is non-threatening. It's not like I'm you know assaulting you when I'm speaking to you. I'm inviting you in. I sound like I know what I'm talking about, whether I do or not. But I sound like I do, and it's also inviting. I I, I bring you into this journey. And I make you feel feel safe. So we had this wonderful, wonderful relationship, and he just kept using me all the time, from one show to the next, this documentary to that documentary, and then finally, you know, Ancient Aliens popped up. And Ancient, Ancient Aliens was only supposed to be a two-hour special. That was it. It was going to be two hours, one and out. That was it. Gone. That was a few years ago. <laughs> oh, it was a lot of years ago. It was like 13 plus yeah, years yeah, ago. Yeah, that's what I was going to look. And it was 13 years. Yeah, and uh, it, it, the the audience loved it. The studio, I mean, the, I, you know, the joke is the network tried to kill it. They they put it on all kinds of weird hours, and yet people still wanted to see it. So they kept ordering more and more. And after about five or six episodes that they had ordered, Kevin uh, joked with him. He says, "Listen, I've run out of pyramids. Wh what do you want me to write a show about?" And you know, so the the joke is essentially at first. We were struggling to find material, but now it's it's everywhere. I mean, the show has become the, the granddaddy to all these uh, shows that deal with the paranormal or uh, aliens or what's happening out in the universe. All that stuff, ancient aliens is is the one that everybody's trying to emulate. Right. And uh, we've we've been there forever, and we're gonna you know we're gonna continue. I mean, there's no reason why we should stop because it's, I. Personally, it just gets more and more interesting. Right. So have you had the opportunity these 13 years to meet any of the folks, you know, any of the cast or the special guests that are on Ancient Aliens? Oh, yeah. Awesome. At Ancient Aliens, I've, I've met basically all of them. We've gone to conventions and we've been able to really hang out together. Uh, and it's, it's fascinating. We've be, and we've become, honestly, very, very good friends. I'm very, very close with, with Giorgio he and I are, are, are really tight. And, um, you know, Linda, Nick Pope, uh, they're all, I've spent a lot of time with them. 
even Eric von Daniken. And it's, it's, I have to say, it's part of it is the brilliance of, of Kevin again. He, he put together just the right group of people because all these people are really A personalities. There's not a wallflower in the, in the group. <laughs> I mean, these people are, have strong opinions, they're charismatic, they're articulate, and yet when we all get together, we're all friends. They can have arguments, they can disagree, but it's still, it's a professional disagreement. And it's, it's fascinating. That's why I think the episodes that we've been doing, you know, because of the COVID situation, we can't send them out on location anymore right now. Right. So we've had to, we had to improvise and we have this round table, which is really fascinating because it shows how these people operate. I know for Giorgio, he was telling me that it was really important that the audience not think that they, they all think alike, that they have different opinions about things, but they do have arguments and they try to work it out. Maybe somebody's opinion may change. So it's. I, I think these shows are really, really fascinating to give you that extra peek behind the curtain. Now, for me, since I'm not an, a theorist, I see myself almost like the like the court jester. Uh, you know, my job is to out there is to is to kind of entertain a little bit. So you know, comic relief, uh, if if you will. So when we go to these conventions, I'm the guy that they used to introduce everybody because you know that's not what their thing is their thing is to answer questions about whether you know aliens were here 5000 years ago that's not the question you want to ask me because i haven't a clue but if if you want to have things a little bit keep things a little bit light and keep the conversation going and and uh, then then i'm i'm the guy you want so we we all work really well together and we all really respect each other which is also really nice so now with with Oak Island, I have it. We were going to have a convention, I think it was last March or April of last year in Los Angeles, where Rick and Marty were going to be there. A bunch of the guys from the show were going to be there, but unfortunately it had to be canceled because obviously all the conventions were, were canceled. Right, everything so was canceled. On that show, I haven't really met anybody. So going back to ancient aliens for a moment, without mm-hmm. uh, jeopardizing your position, uh, What's your what's your feelings on the the ancient alien theory? I guess Do you, is that something you subscribe to or open to or, or still scratching well, well, your head first about? Of all, I, well, first of all, I got to give you respect because Giorgio always calls it the ancient astronaut theory, and that's what you did. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes when I'm in the studio, they'll say, you know, ancient astronaut theory, and I'll say, no, 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 no. Giorgio says it's the ancient astronaut theory. So we, we make that little adjustment, that little change. But my job as the narrator, I always saw it as, you know, and I talked with Kevin about this because I was his voice. He wrote the words. He would say that he's agnostic, but open to the, up to the information. He's not, he's not poo-pooing it. He's not dismissing it. He's open. He's, you know, tell me what, tell me what you think. I'm not all on board yet, but let me, you know, maybe you can convince me. It's, and yeah. so, so I, I, res- I respected that. So I need to, I need to be that kind of a voice for it. But as far as personal experience is concerned, there was one thing, you know, the more you're around it, the more you've got to think, wait a minute, how is all this stuff just coincidence? <laughs> I mean, we did an episode, I don't know, I think, I think it's aired. It was about the pyramids. This was just... Um, this season, where they mentioned that the longitudinal point on the map of where the Great Pyramid of Giza is, is the exact same number 
as the speed of light in meters per second. Now, how is that possible? I, I, I mean, what, the ancient Egyptians just decided that, okay, here, and wow, you're kidding me, that's the speed of light in meters per second? Who knew? Right. right. It's 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 bizarre. It's also as if you were to flatten out the the Earth, let's say on a map, and the Pyramid of Giza is at the exact center of the landmass of the Earth. Now, is that just pure chance that that happened? Maybe. Sure, that's a possibility, but not a great possibility. I would think that there would be something else going on. If you're going to put something there, I mean, they could have moved it up two miles away and it would have been in a different spot. Right. Ten miles, five, that spot is it. Um, and then I had a personal experience with a lady that uh, I met at a convention a few years ago who worked at, at NASA. And she was walking away from me. She you know, came, got an autograph picture, and she was a fan of the show. And I, I happened to ask her, anything ever happened while you were at NASA that you know you haven't talked about it that you know might be interesting to the show and she looked at me and said well let's see the statute of limitations is whatever it is 27 years and she said yeah it's been over that so yeah and she told me a story about a personal experience that she had while working at NASA during one of the missions to the moon it was Apollo I think yeah, I want to say 16 it was whatever the final one of the final Apollo missions where they drove around the the moon buggy mm -hmm. yeah. and it was uh, oh god what was it? Ron Evans was the command module pilot and she told me that her job was to be the uh, she, her job was to monitor the vital signs of the astronauts so she was there in mission control. You know, when we see on Apollo 13, the movie, with all those people that are sitting on those, in front of those computer screens, she's one of them. Right. Okay. Her job is to say, okay, what's their, you know, O2 level? What's their, you know, what's their blood pressure? I mean, all that kind of stuff. She's monitoring that real time. And Ron Evans, you know, the other guys are on, on the surface of the moon, and he's circling the moon. And, of course, when he goes to the backside of the moon, he's out of radio contact for whatever period of time that is. And his job when he comes back in to uh, radio contact is to check in with the commander of the mission who is the who's the man who was down on the moon. And he does that. And the uh, commander of the mission, I can't remember his name, it's it's embarrassing. He uh, he uh, says, "Hey Ron, uh, you lonely up there?" And Ron reports, "I'm not alone." Well, command you know, command center immediately switches to what they, you know, a different channel. Private they go channel. switch to the channel yeah. to, yeah, private channel. Well, this lady that I know, she switches to that private channel as well because that's part of her job. And uh, mission control says, Ron, are you joking? He says, no, I'm not. He said, well, what's going on? He says, something is following me. It's in formation. He estimates its size to be about 40 feet, 40 to 50 feet. It's got markings on the sides of it. It surrounds, it not surrounds him, but it follows him in formation for over five orbits around the moon and then flies <laughs> off. Okay? Now she's also, and she, you know, later on that day, M Mission Control had a meeting and said, let's not talk about this. And I asked her why. She said, well, because Mission Control's job, NASA's job is not to come up with an explanation for something. We gather the data, 
We give that to the to the brain trust. They figure it out. So let's not talk about this. Let's, let's not speculate. And I went, okay. Well, this lady was also on the Ticonderoga, which was the support ship that recovered the space capsule when it landed in the ocean. She happened to see Ron Evans in a, in a stateroom on, on, on board the ship. And he's sitting there. She, she said he was like sitting on the floor. And he looked very disturbed. And she said, uh, she said, Ron, are you okay? He said, oh, yeah, I'm fine. She said, is it about the, uh, quote, anomaly? And he looked up at her and he said, you heard about that? She goes, yeah, I was, I was in part of the, part of the call. I, I, I heard it all. She, and he just said he has no idea what that was. He says it was the strangest thing he's ever seen. And uh, it kind of, kind of shocked him. He took photographs of it somewhere. There's photographs at NASA of whatever this object was. But once I talked to her, and this is not somebody she said she heard it from somebody. She heard the conversation. She was part of it. She talked to the guy who saw it, and he verified what he saw. Now, it seems strange. What that is, I don't know. But when you hear something like that from somebody that was actually in the room that was a witness to it, you got to wonder what's going on. So yeah. what, what else is out there that, yeah. that's yeah. happening? What else, exactly what else is out there? Well, in and 2020, and we started Space Force. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason <laughs> yeah. we started Space Force. I'm sorry. You right. can, everybody can laugh about it, but there right. is a reason. I mean, there, there's, yeah. uh, you know, it's... There's, there's, well, I, I think you're right. You, you you mentioned the pyramids, and then and then some of the uh, tie-ins with similar structures on a whole different continent. Um, yeah, you know, yeah. and and um, you know, you have to you have to wonder, you know, how, how that could be coincidence. So I mean, some of the stuff is is silly. I mean, I, we did an episode about Bigfoot that I thought was <laughs> really stretching it, but now everything is really. I, I don't think there's a lot of misinformation that's going out there. Maybe some of the theories are a little bit out there, but maybe not. Maybe they're not. Yeah. You know, you've got we've got real rocket scientists. Travis Taylor is a true rocket scientist. Yeah. So we we watch he, him on uh, what yeah. is that show he did? Um, uh, Skinwalker Ranch. Skinwalker Ranch. Skinwalker Ranch. Yeah. Which I I am the yeah. uh, not the narrator, but I but I do the opening. Yeah, you do the opening. Yeah. So I mean, if you, I mean. I didn't know that history of Skinwalker until that came on, and now you know you yeah. go back and look, and it's like, holy mackerel! Yeah, there's it. some weird yeah. stuff going on at that yeah. place. Weird stuff. And I, I, you know, I talked to Travis at a convention before he went there to shoot these things, and uh, I asked him. I said, "Why? You know, why are you, why are you going to do this?" He says, "Because I'm a scientist. If there's something there, I want to find it." Yeah, like, that, you think I want to sit back and have somebody else discover it? No, that yeah. was the needed. That's what I liked him on that show because he went out there to disprove it. You know, he's like, "I'm a rocket oh, yeah. scientist. I, I don't subscribe to this." And by the time that first no. season was over, he had a whole different story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's 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 definitely uh, he's. I don't want to say he's a skeptic, but he. You know he's a he's a scientist. He needs to be proven. He he's not just going to take it at face value. Right. And that's the way he works. And and he's I, I think he's a he's a great guy. I mean he's really a lot of fun to, to be with. Really fascinating. Really interesting. You know he was I think he was the 
Alabama State champion in Taekwondo or something. I mean, it's really... He, he's not, not only, a guy that... Uh, not only yeah, is he a rocket scientist, but he that, kicked yeah. your butt. <laughs> yeah, he, he really... He, he tries to be the best at whatever he does. That's awesome. And he's, he's, one had, of those... he's had... He's had experiments that have been on the uh, the space station. That, that's amazing, amazing, amazing. So let's move on to... There's okay. this little show out there called The Curse of Oak Island. I don't know if you've ever oh, heard of it. heard about that. Yeah. I hear it's good. Yeah. So did you ever think that that show would put you in... I mean, quite honestly, that's... Even though you've been on Ancient Aliens for over a decade, um, yeah. you know, Oak Island really, you know... I think it's 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 a there's a couple things about Oak Island that brings it to the forefront yeah. and brought you to the forefront. One of it, uh-huh. one of them is the fans. There's so many fans yeah. of that show, and yeah. I mean they pick up on everything in that show and it kind of amplified you as the narrator as well. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's been uh, it. I have to admit it's it's certainly a surprise that it's become as popular as as it has. I understand why it is as popular as as it is, but still, to think that here's a a cable television program where, you know, people, you know, cable doesn't get huge numbers unless it's like a breaking news story or something. And we we pull in three million viewers, sometimes even more than three million viewers each and every Tuesday. Yeah, I mean, it's been number one. Amazing. The last four weeks or something. Yeah. Oh. Oh yeah, I, I, I'm sure that with you know with uh, you know March Madness, we're going to be taken off the top slot if there's some big basketball games happening. But that's, that's uh, all, all the big teams but, lost. So. <laughs> oh, did oh did they? Okay. So we're we're, we're boiling. I've, I've not been watching. Yeah, we're boiling America fans here. It did not go well last night. So. Oh wow. Okay, so your brackets have been blown up. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So okay. right. I got to ask you the phrase, could it be? Yeah. Did you come up with that? Or is that some, something Kevin Burns had in the script for you? Well, it, all these things were in the script, but I made it my own. I mean, it's there. Could it be? You could just say, could it be that they are interested in going on? Exactly. Could it be that and just, but I just, uh, again, it gets back to where I'm having a little bit of fun. And I'm, I love music. So I, I wanted to add a little bit of musicality to it, and I wanted to give it a little bit of a um, a setup. I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna hear this a lot, you know, I, I may not have known that at the time that this was going to be a recurring kind of a, a thing through the through the show. I know we said it a lot in in Ancient Aliens, uh, and a lot of the a lot of that those same that same verbiage has been translated or you know moved over into into Oak Island. But I, I thought, I need to have a little bit of fun with this. And uh, so when I say, could it be? I, I'm, I'm, I'm asking that question, letting it kind of resonate a little bit. And I know people have turned it into a, a drinking game. <laughs> you know, <every> <laughs> yeah, like, I saw that. Every you time know. you say, could it be? got to take a shot. Could it be? Or, or, <laughs> yeah. or more wood or, or whatever. Um, wood in the money pit? <laughs> Wood in the money pit, old wood, good wood, how much wood, new wood, old wood. <laughs> it's wood, okay? It's more. It's a lot of wood. Oh. So no, but I. So I did not come up with it, but I made it my own. Right. Uh, like the like ancient astronaut theorists say, yes, I made it my own. Um, so, and that's kind of 
I don't know. It's, it's just me. You know, I, 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 I can't say there was something that I, I planned on doing. I had some kind of a strategy that I'm going to turn this into a catchphrase. If you, if you try to turn something into a catchphrase, you're going to fail. Uh, I think that it has to come around organically and people have to find some kind of a, you know, a, a connection to it, whether it's humorous connection or, or a serious connection. I, I, I have people contact me all the time and they tell me that they, they do impressions of me. This is this is like the the phrase that they use. Yeah, when, we, uh, yeah we've got guilty. one right. We've got one right here, Robert. Is charged. Got one right here. <laughs> well, I'm I'm honored by that. In fact, if I can bring a little bit of of joy, somebody can have some fun with it. Have at it, man. That's 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 a a, gr a great gift uh, for me to to know that that that's out there. Because listen, honestly, there would become a time when. No one's going to care. That's right. Well, why is going to be one of those things? What? What are you talking about? Man? Could it oh, what? God, what <laughs> yeah. Could it what? Well, I think listening to so, you know your catchphrases or whatever you you've made them. I mean, <laughs> I think people see that you're having fun with it. I think that's why it becomes a catchphrase. Is it's not yeah. it's not forced on you. It's you can feel the honesty in it that it's almost like you can feel your curiosity through the words yeah and right. and that's yeah. why it resonates yeah, it, it's and just sit. not a script you know right. it's not a even though it is a script it doesn't it feel doesn't like come off as a script right it comes well, off also, as just so, just, yeah. you, just so you know when i go into this part of it is this when i go into the studio i don't get the script in advance i don't get it like the night before and i look at it and i read it through and i kind of practice it no 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 that's why I said it was important for me to be able to get the page, get the words off the page right away. They literally hand me the script when I'm in the booth here, and I look at it. And let's say the first, let's say the first uh, sentence, you know, the first paragraph is whatever it might be. I'll look at it and I'll say it out loud, just to make sure that I get all the words there. Make sure that it's grammatically correct, or maybe there's a pronunciation that I don't understand. Make sure, you know, so I know all that, and then we go for it. And I'll do generally two takes. And nine times out of ten, they're happy with one of those two. That's awesome. So, and we move on. We move on to the next one. So you don't so see. So when it, I see, go ahead. So there's a could it be? I'm looking forward to saying could it be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm like I'm looking like going, for that spot. Somewhere you're looking, in the script is yeah. going to be there. You're looking for that. I remember spot, the first right? time I, I remember the first time I said ancient astronaut theorists say no. It was I, I had to stop the session. I said, wait, is this a typo? They said no, no, no. They're saying no this time. I said they never say no. I, I, I can't. I don't know that I can say the words ancient astronaut theorists say, and not say yes. My the muscle memory says I have to say yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to try to say no, but it's going to be hard. So, so you know, I I I look forward to uh, to saying those those phrases. You know, a I, I I enjoy it, and b I know that the that the fans, the people that are listening to it, for whatever reason. They've resonated to it. They pick up on it. They're having fun with it. So let's all let's all have fun. I mean, this show, this with all the weird crap that's happened in life, especially over this last year. Yeah. Finding something that, that brings you a little bit of joy, a little bit of levity, a little bit of a you know a break from the, the pressure of just getting through the day. Right. What's wrong with that? No, Absolutely. Plus, it, it makes a commonality between people. Right. For, you know, for yeah. us, we'll see each other during the week. Hey, did you watch that last episode, Oak Island? You know, it gives you something to talk about and bond about, which, like you said, this last year we all needed. 
And, and we, oh my goodness! And yeah. we jokingly throw the "Could it be? Could it be?" into anything we do next. <laughs> <laughs> of course, why not? You know, it's why just, not? It's a fun phrase, and it, it, it it's, is. It's really going to be great at the end when the final the final script is written somewhere down the road, and you can say it is <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, so Robert, have you been to the island yet? I have not. I want to go. I've been I've been planting seeds with the producers uh, all during this last season. In fact, I think I think next week, I think we, I have one more episode to record of, of Oak Island for this season that I, I really want to go up there. Yes. Yeah, so. um, I, would, I would love to meet them. I would love to grab a shovel, dig in the dirt, and just, just to explore. I yeah, mean, that's, that'd, that'd be, that'd be it's cool. something that I think, I mean, we all, I think one, one of the magical things about the show is that it, it, it connects with that, that treasure hunter in all of us. Yeah. So, you know, so kids, you know, he, I think always wanted to find something. So, it, I think I think I heard you say earlier you hadn't met any of the any of the any of the cast, and and now you haven't no, been I, to the island. So, actually, a few of us have one up on you here. We've yeah, been to the island. We've been to the island, and uh, and oh. we've we we uh, met Charles uh, Barkhouse. No. And uh, no. Dave, Dave Blankenship. And Dave, yeah, and Dave, Dave Blankenship. Blankenship. No. Yeah, yeah we yeah, toured yeah. the island for over two hours. We were actually all planning on being back up here this last summer again, including including the fourth of us that didn't go the first time. And unfortunately, uh, that got whacked by, by COVID, as you would imagine. Oh, you, you definitely need to so go. I think you'll yeah. have a whole different feeling. Yeah. We even, even we did. It's, it's amazing because even for yourself, you know, you see it two-dimensional on the TV. Yeah. When you're there in, yeah. in 3D, and especially the stuff that's going on right now with the swamp mm-hmm. and the, yeah. the elevation with the swamp and the money pit, you don't you don't see that on TV. So there's an elevation difference. Yeah. Uh, the swamp's yeah. much lower. The money pit's much higher, which, you know, it— um, Yeah, so we see, we see those aerial pictures, and we—you know, so yeah. we were there, and we're standing in this spot, and that spot is like— you know, it's really, it's really makes it, it gives it a whole different, uh, as Alan said, kind of gives you a different dimension to, to everything that they're doing. Were Rick and Marty there at all? Did you get to meet them? No. So unfortunately, we went the 4th of July weekend. So they were all oh. back in the States for the 4th of July. So, you know, we did not get to meet them, unfortunately. So oh. it was just a Canucks that were up there. Well, I'll tell you, though, Charles you Barkhouse to- and uh, yeah. Blankenship are wonderful Yeah, they, they were Super very great good guys. Very, very yeah. hospitable. And uh, yeah. I tell you, you know, oh. I've watched the show for a long time, and, and you know, I we all, I don't know what you call what you want, but when you're standing there, you get a totally different feeling about, and when you're standing there listening to Charles Barkhouse talk about the whole thing, you, you get a sense yeah. of of him knowing what's really going yeah. on there you yeah. do yeah it's um there i mean i, it, I gotta it, get up there yes yeah absolutely you, you, do. you better hurry up because yeah. you know the way they're going now yeah they're making that next oh, script you may be getting i don't know yeah maddie maddie Wait, told us yeah. the ending so we yeah. we can't we can't reveal it but he doesn't know he has no idea he's, uh, he's telling you he's in the loop he's he's so far out of the loop <laughs> <laughs> so no, I think I think speaking. Can't even spe- see the loop. <laughs> so Robert, I think I think speaking of Maddie, it, it, as uh, Alan mentioned, we we were blessed with being able to interview him a few weeks ago, and that was a great interview. And I think I get the same feeling from you as we got from Maddie. Is you know uh, one of the things that 
I think makes it work for Maddie and makes it work for you. You guys are fans. You guys are fans of the show, oh, yeah. and I think that comes oh, yeah. out. It certainly comes out in Maddie because you see him on TV. But um, yeah. you know, again, I think what what makes it work with you too is it's just you as a as a viewer, you get that feeling that you guys are into this. Everything is you're seeing there. I mean, it may be upsetting or frustrating that they're not finding what it is you hope that they find, but it is real. The, you know, the brothers are real. They're really right. trying to find something. This is not something they're just doing to make a buck. Right. Believe me, they've got plenty of bucks. They don't need to do this. This is something that's been passionate, uh, uh, that they've had passion for since they were teenagers. And now they have the opportunity to be able to do it on a scale that's, you know, we all wish we could, we could, whatever we want to do on exactly. that scale. And, you know, when the, the writers uh, of the show, you know, the writers meaning that they basically, you know, they write my, my stuff, but they don't write what the guys are saying. That's transcriptions. Um, so everybody to a man, a Prometheus, even the, the engineer, I'll tell you a little, little side story. Everybody is passionate about these shows. There's this energy. There's this excitement about it. The, the fellow that records me, he and I become very, very good friends over the years. He's constantly trying to make it better and better. He bought himself. He, he just sent me the photograph yesterday. This new Neumann microphone. I don't know if you know who Neumann uh, microphones are. I do, are. yes, they are. yes. Okay, this is, it's a D9. You've never even heard of this microphone. It's a, it's a, uh, a digital microphone, but it's got that, that wonderful Neumann capsule. He found one of them out there in, in, a, in a small town in upstate New York. He bought it with his own money to bring it into the studio because the sound floor is, is so, it, it's, it's, it's like pure silence just to make what we're doing better. And he's excited about it. So everyone feels that way that's involved with these shows. And, and the reason for that is, again, it's because of the atmosphere that Kevin Burns created. Yeah, so... He was passionate. He had, a, he had an office. He loved Hollywood. He had an office on Ho Hollywood. The office is still there. It's basically on Hollywood Boulevard and, and Vine. His office is like on the 20th floor. It's way up there overlooks the Hollywood sign. He's got the office filled with Hollywood memorabilia and not just like little knickknacks. I'm talking about movie posters that are worth tens of thousands of dollars. He has editing bays that's that's uh, like the um, like the conference room was the Irwin Allen conference room. The, one of the editing, editing bays is the Disney editing bay with oh, just filled with Disney memorabilia. There's a, a James Bond editing bay filled with just 007 James Bond stuff and not just cheap little stuff. I mean, high-end stuff, beautiful stuff, stuff that would be in anybody's collection who was a, a serious collector. He had Herman Munster's electric chair from the Munsters <laughs> that he sat in in his office. Okay? So... He had such passion and love for for what he was doing that that translates to everybody. Even the people that, you know, would bring lunch are passionate about it, are excited and happy. And I think that's part of what you see in these shows is how interesting people are, how interested they are, how passionate they are, how much fun they're having. 
And literally, I tell them when I show up to the session, it's like I'm showing up to the first day of work ever. That's it's awesome. never, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's that kind of, uh, of energy that, that we're bringing into it. And I also, I also tell them a joke. I say, listen, I'm the last line of defense. If I say something, it's, it's out there. So I've got to make sure that it's right. So I'll oftentimes ask questions. Hey, does this make any sense? What, what, I, I'm not sure about this. And, you know, if, if it's incorrect, we'll make the change. If it's correct, we'll, we'll go through it. But uh, it, it's, it's that kind of, of passion that all of us has that I think that's what makes these shows so, so interesting and so much fun to watch for the, for the audience. And you, and you can't create that. It has to just be there. Right, that's you real. Can't, you, can't, you, can't, you can't fake it. Yeah, so that kind of carries over. One of the questions uh, we asked Maddie a couple weeks ago was, you know, unfortunately Kevin had passed away. And did he see the same passion uh, for Oak Island now that there was when Kevin was here? And and he answered, he hated to say this, but probably even more so now because they wanted to pick up the torch and carry forward yeah. with Kevin's yeah. vision. And so, lift it higher. And yeah. lift it higher. Yeah. So. yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's how inspirational this fellow was. First of all, he not only did he create an, in, an incredible company, but he... he he nurtured people to the to the point of where now that he's gone, we know what he what he wants, and we want to make him proud. When I go into the studio, I I feel him there. I, I can I can see his words, and I and I've I've told a couple of the writers they brought in some scripts sometimes, especially with Ancient Aliens, and I say, man, I can see Kevin in the script, and that's the greatest compliment that they they can get, right? Yeah. Uh, because he was he was a master at at making that polish having that nice little little spin making a little bit more of a of a uh, you know more interesting little little something something unexpected that he that he would add to it and maddie is exactly right everybody took that ball and said man let's 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 make kevin proud let's let's continue this let's keep it going and to a man and and a woman we're all we're all doing that good deal and so maddie's absolutely right good deal so uh you know, there was another show you narrated, uh, hadn't been on for a while. It's the Curse of the Civil yeah. War Gold. So, yeah, is there any? I mean, you probably can't tell me, but we enjoyed that show, except yeah, for the was, fact they found painted was, gold it was bricks. A good show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just wondering if yeah, is there any news doing any more of those, or are they done? Or do um, you know? I, I I do not know, but I do know that uh, we have brought back elements uh of of this of civil war gold into some of our uh our new episodes uh, where where we've talked about x y or z i mean i know that maddie on one of the beyond oak islands beyond oak island yes talked talked about that so it's still um how do i put it still spinning around out there right i i think the guys that are doing it um uh, are still interested in in trying to see if they if they can find what happened to the Civil War gold, and if they find something or get get a get a lead or something that's going to be worthy of, of doing more episodes, I'm sure we'll do it. Right, right. And, so it's, so it's, they're, they're, it's not it's not dead. Right. It's maybe it's just dormant. We're just kind of kind of waiting. That's it's in a holding period. In a holding pattern. Right. Exactly. So you know what? What's great about all these shows is, you know it's uncovering history that's been lost uh you know oak island quite you know if anybody 
this year can tell me that they don't like the curse of oak island and they're not finding anything and they're not watching the yeah. show well or I mean, they're just not into history yeah which i mean we're, we're kind of into history that, but that, it's that, like you know there's some real history they're digging up there yeah. that that oh, nobody yeah. expected was going to happen so right. it's it's just yeah. it's just a very intriguing at this point because you know i started watching this show and 2018 i had to do some catching up you know um a little bit but at that point but i've been watching it ever since and and that's the thing that's driven me to continue to watch it is is whether whether there's a treasure there or not there is definitely a story of history there that nobody understood before these guys started digging uh the way they're the way they're going and the way they're going about it and then i think this season really just explodes that yeah. yeah, and and this was the this was the season that almost didn't happen. Yeah, that, that's yeah. what's really amazing right. to exactly. me. Is it was I, I can go as to whether we'd be able to do anything. Yeah, see, exactly. I thought we'd get you maybe five or six episodes. I mean, I think we're going to end up with more episodes than last year. The way I mean, it's yeah, just I think we're I think it's a total of twenty three. Well, yeah. and I and I think I think uh, more discovery maybe this year than yeah. they've had in all the years past put together. Really, to be to be yeah. honest, yeah. when you talk yeah. about what's going on at the swamp and 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 now they're yeah. you know tracking tracking their, this their other drill tunnel. program. Yeah, it's um, it's and amazing. The, the history that we're learning is layered. It's yeah. layered yeah. history. But this isn't yeah. one. When this we, is, this yeah. isn't one event. This right. was a. Uh, right centuries of events right. now i mean we're right. not even yeah. in decades this is centuries of events right yeah and when we when we mention like on you know september 2nd 1603 this happened i tell you that's when it happened we we really strive for accuracy when it comes to the history and in fact even on one of the shows not one of the uh, oak islands but on one of the ancient aliens <clears throat> we aired something and it uh I remember it was like somebody sent me a tweet or, or about they said that this you know we talked about this metal it was a conductor of electricity or whatever and this person writes back and says no it actually is exactly the opposite it's, it's not a conductor of electricity not only and i just happened to mention it in passing to the producers the next week we were re-recording that episode and making the adjustment because it was inaccurate and we don't want anything that's inaccurate to go out there. Right. So that's the kind of attention to detail. And that's what also, like you said, when when it comes to history, we're we are going to be teaching you some history. We're we're exploring. We're showing you this. This this kind of stuff really happened. It's scary and, when you can enter, entertain and educate all in the same in the same yeah. in the same series. Well, you, I tell you, I watched the I watched the show a documentary this past weekend last Sunday called Valley of the Kings. And I was, mm-hmm. as I watch a show, it's a, it's in Egypt, in the Valley of the Kings in Egypt. And I was yeah. thinking the whole time, the narrator of this show is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> and I was thinking, Good. because yes. there is so Thank much, you. there. I am so dug into the history of Egypt. And I was thinking the same thing. Where is Robert to do this? Get Robert because there. I'm yeah. telling yeah. you. So, Ruben, what would you have done if Robert would have said, well, that was me. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it wasn't. I checked. <laughs> yeah, like, um, like, St- like Stephen King uh, calling himself Richard Bachman or Bakeman. Right, or whatever right. Um, yeah. it's a, I tell you, it's a, it's a good show. It has a lot of substance to it, but it was just not delivered very well to help people dig into it. Um, you know, my wife and was watching through it, and every time I'd pause and go, keep check this out i bet i paused the show like 30 times to tell her look at this yeah. and and this yeah. week i just felt that there could have been a better 
trigger mechanism to pull you into the show to understand because there's a lot there in the Valley of the Kings. And yeah, well, yeah, and sometimes sometimes yes. the job of a narr- sometimes the job of a narrator is to point out the important information. You may have somebody an expert do you know two pages of 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 you know explaining something right but it, right. it gets lost in the translation so to speak it does so the narrator says has to kind of underline some of the critical points well i uh, i missed you on that i can tell you i, uh, <laughs> I should have done a great job i i would have better done better job from cedar this, grove indiana <laughs> Yes, yeah, send, send me the script. I'll read it and send it to you. So next time you can watch it. <laughs> Make me feel better <laughs> about it. Feel better. This is dub it. Simulcast it. Is, it. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Exactly. So are there any other shows that, uh, that we haven't seen yet that you're working for? You know, maybe with Prometheus? Any other history uh, shows, anything that you can talk no, right, about? Right now, well, right now we're working on, you know, obviously Ancient Aliens, Curse of Oak Island, Beyond Oak Island. Uh, Skinwalker Ranch is coming back. Oh, um, yay. <laughs> yes, and there's yeah. uh, God. There's another show that they're. Oh, they, they've got several shows. They they also are the producers of of The Unexplained with um, William Shatner. Yes, they've so, got they've got a new series called America's Book of Secrets. Yeah, with, seen that. Oh, I can't re- I can't remember the fellow's name, but it's 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 a different format than the old episode. Right. Cool. Where this is going to be more of a uh, a live host. Who will you know explain a little bit of the stuff with with field pieces, kind of like what uh, what William Shatner is doing? Um, they've got a couple of other series that they're that they're bouncing around. I think there's another um, offshoot of Oak Island that they're considering. I'm not sure exactly what that is, but as far as what I'm doing with them right now, I'm pretty busy with with all those shows because right. generally right now I'm doing two at the same time. We're finishing up Oak Island and we're starting ancient aliens you know we're kind of it's kind of an overlap and i'm sure that once the guys go back to oak island whenever that would be you know april may they're going to start editing shows putting them back together so that we're prepared for whenever the season premiere is and again and same with, with ancient aliens and then you've got beyond oak islands that they've got to do so they keep me pretty busy i'm pretty uh pretty lucky when it comes comes to that I'm very uh very happy, very, very thrilled as an actor to work with one company for 16 years. I mean, yeah. that's yeah, that's awesome. insane. Yeah, I'm we're sorry. looking, yeah, we're looking forward to uh, uh, some more Beyond Oak Island because uh, we've watched the episodes. Aren't they great? Of, yeah, well, I mean, again, it gets back yeah. to it gets back to that that history history aspect and the mysteries yeah. of of you know the actual history that took place in this country. I and I, yeah, and, I and I know it, I know I know it took them a little bit of time to kind of figure out how the show was, you know, the format of the show. They had a rough understanding, but then you, once you put it together, at first at one point, I think they were going to try to do it with no narration. And they said, no, that doesn't work. So they kind of played around with a little bit. But I think now they're really in the groove. And Maddie is so good on the show. Yeah. Isn't yeah. he great? Well, well you know, he, he is as much in, it, it's it's like you are. It's not just a job. He's into, he's as a little kid. Oh, yeah. He's a, a little kid out there. It, so. Well, I have a show that I would like for you to see you come off of this. And we're seeing about all the Oak Island. We're learning about the what's happening there, what's going there. I want to see a show called The Ships of Oak Island. And I want to know what what ships were bound to Oak Island from Europe and Asia or wherever. Oh. I want to see that. Because if we put those two together, 
and we go over over water and we look at the manifest and the shipping routes over there, we oh. could learn who was headed to Oak Island. And yeah. those are in, they have oh. mass records of that. So you I can like put that. one in for me. We want the ships of Oak Island. <laughs> so yeah, you, can, you can roll him in the oh, bottom like of the that. credits. And I don't. I, I don't think. We, I don't think we mentioned that we actually interviewed James McQuiston too. So yeah, um, really? yeah, yeah, that was right. a great. It was a great interview. And read read some of his books, and and that's just some really uh-huh. intriguing. Whether you know what how that ties to Oak Island, or if it doesn't, still, I mean, the uh, the information he has about. Uh, um, the ancestry, the, the, the history oh, of, yeah, yeah, yeah. of that time. So, and I got a little backwards question. I guess is we we have yeah. your we have your history of all the shows that we know and the great ones. Is there a show that you did that maybe isn't as famous or as popular that you really that was you really enjoyed? I mean, just something that was just flat out just fun, yeah. but maybe yeah. didn't make oh. it you know f- the top list. Because we've got all the yeah, good as, ones. As far as narration is concerned, and either or? either way, any anything in your career that that was, you just had a blast, but maybe it didn't make it to the top. <laughs> well, I'll tell you. Um, I guess the first TV show that I ever was on was 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 kind of interesting. It was an ep- a show called Emergency. Oh, sure. yeah. 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 With Randy Rain, Mantooth. Yeah, and, uh, Randy Mantooth. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was I was I think I was gosh. I want to say 15. Were you the hamburger eating kid or cheeseburger eating <laughs> yes. kid or something? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, oh, no, no, no. I will tell you I'll tell you what. I'll tell you a, a, a show that's really really cool. Uh, and this one it's interesting that I've actually gotten some publicity, some fans for this, which is it, this this blows my mind. It was uh, Columbo, oh, and yeah. I did an yeah. episode of Columbo. Sure. Which, for a lot of people, this is their favorite episode. It's called "By Dawn's Early Light," and the guest star was was Patrick McGowan. Yeah. And this was the first time that he'd worked on a Columbo. I think after that. He enjoyed it so much that he did like four or five others. He even directed some episodes, but this was the first one. And for me, Patrick McGowan was one of my favorite actors. Uh, I, I just loved him. And, I, I, you know, I was 15 years old, 16 years old, and they flew me to Columbia, South Carolina to shoot this, this two-hour Columbo because it took place at a military academy in South Carolina. And the military academy that it was at was a place called the Citadel. Mm-hmm. Now, the Citadel at that time was strictly a a, a boys' military school. There right. was there were no women that were going going there. Right. Uh, it, it had it was steeped in tradition. I think one of the first graduating classes fought for the Civil War for the South. It you know it was within eyesight of, of Fort Sumter. I mean it was it was. Yeah steeped in in history and uh, tradition. And here I was, I'm hired to play the guy that delivers coffee to Patrick McGowan in the morning. The, the, the character's name was called the Boodle Boy. <laughs> Nobody knows where this term came up from came up from try to google boodle boy and it'll make no sense you'll probably end up with my picture but there's become a fan base just about the boodle boy because i i I guess i I was just such a nerdy kind of a goofy guy 
that brings the coffee and I get I get dressed down because my my sh- shoes aren't shined and my my grades aren't up to up to speed and and uh, then a, on another scene uh, you know I, I'm really nervous of, of when Columbo is the Peter Falk is there with uh, with Patrick and Gwen kind of chewing me out a little bit and letting me off the hook but the experience of working on that was was uh, really a lot of fun it was also kind of kind of scary because <laughs> here I was you know 15 16 years old they cut my hair to be this cadet and I was wearing the uniform of a first year cadet and even though my hair was pretty darn short it was not as short as a first year cadet's hair is supposed to be right and we shot this in the summer and so there weren't a lot of students that were around but the students that were there apparently weren't too happy with me because I would, you know, there's like this big courtyard. It looks like a, like a chessboard, you know, black and white checks in it. And if you're a first year student, you're supposed to walk around the outside, not supposed to walk across. Well, you know, how did I know? You went I'm right just, across uh, it. I, I went right across it. Uh, also the colonel who was, you know, military colonel who was the commandant of the, of the school, he was the technical advisor on the show. So we would sit around the set and he would show me how to salute, how to do an about face, and we would joke around a little bit and have some fun, right? And so the cadets that were there would see this and go, how is this guy, this punk from Hollywood, this plebe, he's like joking around with a commandant? <laughs> one of the days, one of the, uh, one of the drivers, they were all from the South, he comes up to me and he says, uh, hey, Robert, um, if I were you, uh, I wouldn't go walking around here by myself. <laughs> I'm, I'm just this innocent you know, idiot. I go, what do you mean? He goes, well, word is that uh, some of the cadets would like to initial you. Now, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what initial means. Maybe he meant to say initiate, initiate but his accent yeah. was thick. Yeah. But initial sounds like somebody's going to carve something into your skin. <laughs> so I realized, I went, wow, I really misread this whole situation. <laughs> so, needless to say, after that, I, I hung out with uh, the biggest guys in the crew. So just so you know, we but pulled it, your picture up and we're looking at we're, it. We, uh, in that Columbo I did, episode. Uh, I did Google boy. it. You, Google were no, you were number four in some, some – it was the number one search when you put – yeah. Boodle boy. Yeah. <laughs> and your photos there holding a, a, a platter with a coffee cup and a, yeah. and a, <laughs> yeah. there's a, there's a whole Boodle boy fan club. Yeah. You've awesome. got, it's a cult it's, following. It's it says, yeah, it's crazy. It's that crazy. So that's, that's, that's kind of goofy, but it's, uh, it, it's fun. I mean, I, I remember the experiences as just really amazing to, to see Patrick McGowan and, and work with him and, and, you know, to be around somebody that to me was just, one of the biggest stars so that's, that's it, awesome. it, it was fun awesome. I, I've had a, I, I even worked with Peter Sellers once on a on a wow. silly commercial wow. back in the 1970s so I, I've you know I've uh, orbited around some great talent yeah. <laughs> so absolutely I've, I've awesome very, very have you ever been to Indiana uh, let's see <laughs> that have memorable yeah that must have been <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I don't I, I'm trying to remember if I've driven through it because I remember I drove once cross country 
maybe we did go through Indiana. You probably did. If you came from California, you probably passed yeah. through yeah. usually. Well, yeah. Franklin I County here is not I mean, real popular, course. but they did film part of Rain Man here. Yeah, 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 yeah. part of Rain Man. Yeah, that's hey, our really? claim to fame. Yeah, I claim to fame. Yeah. Wow. That and uh, there's a podcast called Cross the Line 1524. <laughs> yeah. That's here. That? I've heard that's about that. Yeah. <laughs> well, listen, if you, yeah. if you ever make it this way, we'll be more than happy to, to have you in the speakeasy and Absolutely. show you around a little bit of uh, Southeast Indiana. There's a oh, big I'd gator fry happens this fall that you are cordially oh, invited are to. So, Yeah, we fry oh. alligator here. Dang that COVID. Dang that COVID. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. we got to get rid of this COVID. So, you know what? Last year we had to cancel a bunch of things. This year we're hoping... Yeah. You know, we got vaccines. Uh, actually, my wife and I got vaccinated Thursday. So yeah. hopefully the vaccines get out to everybody and, you know, things straighten out a little bit. So, yeah, I had my I had my second shot uh, a couple of days ago. I, of course, I, I'm like Superman when it comes to this this thing. I, I got tested for the antibodies. Just, you know, I wasn't sick or anything, but I went in in June had the antibodies. Yeah. So, yeah. And a lot of people, I think. And then, uh, then the I, went back, I went back a month later because I thought, yeah, this doesn't seem right. Again, positive. Then I went yeah. to my endocrinologist in February of this year. And he said, you know, we're very interested. We don't know how long these antibodies last. Uh, you should get tested again. I went, okay. I went back in February. Still have them. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's eight plus month. Yeah, it's so, a, it's, you know, a, it's a weird the whole virus. This virus yeah. is weird. So. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, fortunate for you, you had it and didn't know it. And uh, um, some of us here, we weren't quite that lucky. Yeah. Oh really? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I offered to give blood plasma. They wouldn't take it. Yeah. Like, really? <laughs> really? <What? laughs> okay. <laughs> well, they were afraid anybody that gave it to them. They were going to say, "Could it be?" <laughs> <laughs> there you go. It would change their vocabulary. <laughs> so I've just looked over here, and you know, just like when we were talking to Manny Blake, yeah. talking to you, Robert, has been a, a pleasure. And before you know it, we're up to an hour and a half. On you know, I know it's and, great. I'm sorry. No, no, no. We, no, you're we, fine. We enjoy it. We enjoy totally it. Enjoyed it. And uh, you know, I hope all our listeners enjoy listening to Robert. Um, you know, and I, I'm going to tell you the same thing we told Maddie. After they find the Ark of the Covenant or whatever they find there, <laughs> hopefully yeah, we can have yeah. you back on. We'll talk about it. Or after we've made contact with aliens that aren't so ancient, we can talk about it. And you know. So basically, you're saying you're going to talk to me once I'm out of a job. <laughs> well, <laughs> on your next adventure. If you're on the Ark of the Covenant, Robert, uh, we don't need yeah. you anymore. Yeah. Goodbye. Your next oh. adventure. Your next adventure. Yeah, you'll be your on next your next adventure. adventure. Maybe you can announce here. Us Sorry, or Robert. We don't yeah. need you. Well, I just got one thing, right. real quick thing to say is that when you were talking about ancient aliens and you were talking about the producer and how he wrote it and yeah. and that we were asking if he believed in it and his answer was kind of not necessarily yes but he was open to the suggestion and that stuck with me that if yeah. the world today would be would have that attitude towards yeah. just life in general we would be so much happier and so much further along with everything oh, yeah, yeah. so that i mean that's yeah, what just stuck it. with me so that was my my end yeah, of end it. of segment well thank you. you you need to be curious you need to be open and people are too entrenched with whatever it is they've got and they, they won't let it go for fear of I don't know what uh, if, if you want to grow you've got to allow the information in you can decide whether it's nonsensical or, or right. not right but at least consider it because right. even if even if it, even if you think it's wrong you've learned something 
You know, we learn from our mistakes more often than we learn from our successes. That's right. So, and I'm, I'm a curious person anyway. So I, I, whenever I get the scripts, I'm excited about what's going to be in there. I'm, I'm really looking forward to what's going to be on the next page. And, uh, you know, that's just me as a person. And, and I know that Kevin was that way. He was very curious and, um, you know, he wasn't so entrenched in his ideas that he wasn't willing to, to learn new stuff. I mean, that's, that's, that's what's interesting in life anyway. It's not work if you enjoy it. Yeah, exactly. You never work a day in your life if you're doing something you love, right? right. Yeah. Well, good deal. So we're going to let you go because, you know, I never meant to keep you an hour and a half, but we really appreciate it. So much. So for Cross the Line 1524, I'm Alan Stanger with Dwayne Bischoff, Jeff Montag, Ruben Hunts, and our special guest, Robert Clotworthy. And we'll see you next time. Oh, I tell you what a fun, fun time we had interviewing Mr. Robert Clotworthy. Uh, excellent interview. You know, we could have went on another hour easily. So we'd like to thank him for that. Uh, there's not much more to say besides everything he just said there. What a great great podcast interview so for cross the line 1524 i'm alan stanger saying see you next time hey.